0: That was a joke. Nobody caught that. (laughs) Today we are reading scripture from Luke 3, 15 to 17, 21 to 22. This is the baptism of Jesus. The people were filled with expectation And everyone wondered whether John might be the Messiah. John replied to them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and of fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn, but he will burn the husks with fire that can't be put out. When everyone was being baptized, Jesus was also baptized. While he was praying, and that's important, while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit came down on him in bodily form like a dove. And there was a voice from heaven that said, You are my son, whom I dearly love. In you, I find happiness. I also want to read two verses that were not in this week's lectionary. The reason why I want to read these, <clears throat> because I did a lot of reading the last week or two on, to uh, prepare for this sermon. I also to a lot of podcasts that break down the Bible, and these two verses were talked about a ton. Thank you, lectionary, for leaving them out. Um, and so it definitely stirred in my heart and is going to be part of the message today. And it's Luke three eighteen to 20. So let's read those together. With many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people. But Herod, the ruler, had been criticized harshly by John because of Herodias, Herod's brother's wife, and because of all the evil he had done. He added this to the list of the evil deeds he locked John up in prison. Alright, so let's just talk a little bit about baptism here. I want to I think with baptism being on the message, we can't just uh, ignore that and what we do here. I think it's important for us because I want us to recall our own baptisms if we've been baptized. So, here in our church, uh, we typically start to get baptized. We look at baptized individuals when they uh, enter middle school. It doesn't always have to be that time period, it can be earlier. If people want to be baptized earlier, it's fine. Uh, It's up to really the parents and the individuals. Um, And we don't have a checklist of why you have to, you know, like to, to get baptized. Um, you know, I've, I have sat with kids before and asked them, you know, why do you want to be baptized? And I have had the answer, it just looks cool. Um, that, whatever, you know, I'm not going to like not baptize you for that reason, you know. I, I, would, I would like it to be more than that, and I hope that it becomes more than that. But I'm also not going to not do it because of that. Um, so it really just kind of comes down to the parents. You can also get baptized later in life. Hey, if you've, been, if you've never been baptized, you can do it later. I was confirmed at 13 in the Presbyterian Church, never was baptized. Um, so I got baptized here at 31. So, hey, you can join in baptism. You know who else got baptized in the 30s? Jesus! So, you know, why not? Uh, so, that, you know, it, it's definitely something available to you. If you've been baptized as a baby right, you've been sprinkled or whatever, that's very important. We do something also called confirmation here. You don't really like re-baptize people. We don't, our baptism doesn't trump somebody else's baptism, Uh, but what we can do is confirm it. Because there's times maybe when people get older, especially as kids get older, they want to be able to make that decision for themselves. Uh, They want to dedicate their lives now that they know what it means to to maybe follow Jesus, or maybe they want to start that path. Uh, And so we can do confirmation, and and they come into the baptism class. We have a baptism class. They come into that just like everybody else does, Uh, and we go through that. Now, I don't know how that will change in the future, how that class will change, but uh, usually it's just a, a nice little time. You get a mentor. You just get a chance to ask questions. Again, it's not a qualification for baptism. We don't do that here. It's just to help you explore and start down this path, right? And then we'll set a date. Now, typically we like to do it publicly, Um, I've pushed for more private baptisms because sometimes it's scary up here. It can be pretty scary to look out and see people. But what I'll say and what I've learned uh, where I've been challenged by people is the importance of public baptism. Because I was like, well, who really cares? Let's do it privately. That's what makes them comfortable. But what I've learned is how important the community is in the baptism. And that's why we do it publicly. So the community can join in and also make a vow to the person being baptized to walk with them along that journey of faith. And I've learned that 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 is a very important piece. So even when we do it privately, I like to invite people from the church. I talk to the baptism candidate to have people in from the church that will be present to represent the church as well. I think that's very important. And at the end of the process, if you choose to get baptized, you can get baptized. If not, you don't have to. In fact, we probably have more people say no to baptism when it comes down to it than what I actually would be a little bit comfortable with. I mean, if I'm honest, I'd like to see everybody get baptized. um, But some just don't feel ready yet. They don't feel like they're good enough to be baptized yet, worthy of it. Where do they get that from? I mean, God doesn't state that. Jesus doesn't state that. So where do they get that? People like me people like other Christians, because we make it a legalistic thing, that you have to check the box and follow certain rules and abide by them to walk through our doors. And if you don't, you're not welcome to receive the waters. And if you do receive the waters, well, you better best start obeying the way, way, way we say. Or We make people feel like they're unworthy to receive that, and that is false. People feel that all the time. It is the number one reason why people tell me, tell me they will not get baptized. So it's not an article I've read. I've been told that repeatedly. That has to change in churches and amongst Christians. Everywhere. Because getting baptized is not about beginning the journey because you have it all figured out. For me, when I got baptized, it was about... I tried to do everything my way for a long time, and it didn't work. It left me hurt and broken and sick and mentally sick, sick in my stomach, unhealthy in so many ways, struggling in so many ways that I needed a change. So my change was, I'm going to try following this guy named Jesus. I'm just going to try. I don't know what it's going to look like. I have no idea what the path is. I have no clue. I'm just going to begin. And I did. And when I journey along the path and when I get off it, guess what? The community is here to pull me back on, right? That's what we're there for. That's why the community is important. Just pull them back on. That's why having people here in church who have walked that path is so important. talked to a few churches recently that keep asking me, Chad, how do we get young people in church? You got so many young people, not just kids, but you got young adults. How do we get them in church? I'm like, why are you focused on that? The three churches in particular I've talked to, you have no infrastructure for children. What are they going to do when they get here? Who's going to support them? But you know who needs some help still? There are 50, 60, 70, 80, and 90-year-olds right now whose churches may have closed, who are struggling to get cared for, who need to be cared for with young people in a vibrant community, but can provide wisdom to help us young people when we walk that path. Why do we not seek out the older generation with the same passion that we try to seek out the younger generation. I think that's a call for the church right now. Because we need that wisdom. We need that faith foundation. And we need people to tell us that we don't have to be perfect and people to help us when we get off the path. Because as Abigail Van Buren said, church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Amen? And when we are baptized, we choose to join in the struggle of that journey of faith as sinners, as people struggling, as people who don't have it all figured out. And we do so, as Luke tells us, as being empowered by the Holy Spirit and baptized of fire. Now, theologically, I want to just hit a brief note on baptism theologically. Most will agree with me and some will not. But baptism itself is not a saving act. Baptism itself is not a saving act. It's an important act of faith. It is an important act in your faith journey. But the act itself does not provide salvation. Sometimes that gets lost a little bit. People think that they can just be baptized and all good, and I can just go sin away. Not so much. There's some hard work you got to do. And some people are scared to get baptized because does that mean I have to like change everything I do in my life? All the music I listen to, the movies I watch, and what if I say a bad word and um, you know whatever it would be, you know some some silliness. No, but you know what it does? It does make you think about what you're doing. It's made me pause at times and think, should I do this? Is this really what I should do? Or before, if I, didn't, if I wasn't trying to follow Jesus, I'd go, I don't care. Does anybody else feel that? I feel that at times. And that, to me, is what baptism did. It just started me along that path and that journey. And I wonder if that's what it did for some of you. But it also called me to do some hard work. And what is it? What's the hard work? Well, let's look at Scripture. Right? Let's look at John. John is arrested and he's placed in jail and he's eventually killed because he spoke of the evils that Herod has been doing. Jesus did the same thing. Jesus calls Herod a fox and not that kind of fox, no no, not like your foxy Herod, no, your fox is in the sly, deceitful, bad kind of fox. Herod was not liked much by Jesus or John. They thought he was evil. But sometimes you got to call evil out. What's Herod doing? Well, we don't know exactly, but we know he wasn't a good man. John says, starting in Luke 3.3, 3, he tells the people that are coming up to receive baptism, tells them to repent for the forgiveness of their sins. So they're doing something sinful that John understands is sinful. He also calls them a brood of vipers. I'm going to use that one sometime. You brood of vipers. In response, the crowd asks John, all right, John, what should we do? John says, if you have two coats, just give one away to a person who has none. Just get one of your coats away. Tax collectors, how about you don't collect unfair taxes? How about you just, just do fair taxes? Soldiers, do not extort money. And don't falsely accuse people. I mean, that's pretty simple, right? I mean, that's none of that's hard. When we falsely accuse people or we're falsely accused, that, that becomes a problem in all areas of our life, does it not? This is reasonable. Help people who have nothing by sharing resources. Don't levy unfair taxes, which keeps poor people poor and oppressed people more oppressed. It's unjust. Don't extort people. That's not good. Don't falsely accuse. Falsely accusing people leads to unjust court rulings, fines, punishments. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It's also shocking that John had to state this. It's also shocking, 2,000 years later, we still have to state it. One thing I want to make sure that we're aware of, as I share some of this, this is not just about calling out wrongful policies or things we see in the world. We can't be partisan in a church. We have to stay issue-focused. Politics is something you can't avoid, but I'm not just talking about governmental. Is there politics in school, Kelly? Yeah. Uh, is there politics in your workplaces? Is there family politics and hierarchies that can be unhealthy? Church politics, Mike. Politics at the weather 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 place you worked at, National Weather Service. I'm sure there was. This is about seeing evil in our, in our world, in our community, in our life, where we go, calling it out. This is seeing wrongful behaviors, wrongful policies, and calling it out as Christians, as the gospel tells us. Let's move away. Let's look at, let's look at Jesus, why he has come. Luke four eighteen. Jesus says he's come to preach good news to the poor to proclaim freedom for the prisoners recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed what's interesting is people did not accept his message we still don't accept this message today we won't accept it why well i mean i give him a coat but it made us enable him i mean could help them. They should just help themselves. I mean, if they're locked up, they must have broke the law. Maybe the law is unjust. I mean, I'd help them. Recovery of sight, I'd heal the sick. Why don't they just go pay and get the help they need? Maybe they can't afford it. This was in his home, Nazareth. They rejected him in this moment. They said, isn't he just Joseph's son? Who is this guy? He's Joseph's son. Oh, He's just the Messiah that you're rejecting, but no big deal. He's just Joseph's son. See, we make a mistake in our churches when young people get baptized and grow up, we still look at them as the young people. We don't accept them for where they're at currently in their journey. We hold people to a past life. They held Jesus and only looked at him still as Joseph's son, not as Jesus the Messiah, as Jesus the Christ, and listened to the words that he proclaimed. Jesus was preaching a good gospel. What's John and Jesus asking for in modern terms? They want to create a fair and equal society in which each individual matters. A fair and equal society where everyone matters. I mean, I would hope we wouldn't disagree with that. That feels good. That rights are recognized and protected. Every person's rights are recognized and protected. No one person's rights take a hierarchical position. And decisions are made in ways that are fair and honest. That seems pretty reasonable, doesn't it? According to Oxford Reference, what I just described to you is the definition of social justice. And as Galatians 3.28 says, I remember it. Oh, here it is. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in Christ. We are all one as part of God's creation. Now, some people say we shouldn't do social justice because it is doing work in the world or of the world. However, I would say that's exactly what we are supposed to do. John and Jesus showed us that. We can go Old Testament as well with Amos. Amos 2 7 talks about people trampling. The poor like they were dirt. On 4-1, exploring the weak and crushing the needy. On 5-11, extorting people with unfair taxes. Five twelve, taking bribes and denying justice to the needy. 8-5, stealing from people in the marketplace. People in power are constantly throughout the Bible, taking advantage of people who are on the margins. This continues today. And the Bible is littered through the prophets to John, to Jesus, to the disciples, and to the apostles trying to do the good work and to push up against the unjust things of the day. Amos is just one prophet. And if you want to get really challenged, read James. I talk about James a lot. Now, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, 1500's Martin Luther, did not like the book of James. And I love Martin Luther. I disagree with him on that one. I think it's amazing but it will challenge you. So what does this work have to do with our baptism, you may ask? Well, the Holy Spirit's baptized you to do this work. You've been baptized of fire to do this work. You are to be a voice to the voiceless. We get focused a lot on personal salvation. Churches do that. Ministers do that. And only talk about what we have to do to receive salvation, what we have to do to receive life after this place. But as Jim Wallace, who's an American theologian, said, faith is personal, it can never be private. Faith is personal, it can never be private. I mean, think of Jesus. He did it walking about the communities and the towns in healing. He pushed his disciples to do the same. Think of Thomas. Thomas moved all the way to China to spread the gospel, modern-day China to spread the gospel. Our faith cannot be private. We can't do it alone. We can't do it in a room behind closed doors. The prophets showed us this. John shows us this. Jesus shows us this. Disciples show us this. The apostles show us this. And we forget at times about an entire structure beyond these walls that we're called to work on as followers. People that are baptized and empowered by the Spirit. The other day I was in the pharmacy picking up some meds. I saw an older woman in there, and she had to return medication because she couldn't afford it. She had to choose between, as I sat with people this past week, and said, oh, she probably had to choose between eating and getting her medication. That ain't right. And I hope everybody's in agreement with me on that. That ain't right. The gospel tells us to heal the sick. That ain't right. I saw a post by a friend of mine on Facebook talking about kind of the mess that happened in Louisville when the snow hit and they canceled school, let kids out early, it was kind of mess getting kids home, but they had made a point to say, make sure you eat a meal before you leave. And somebody said, well, I wonder if they wanted to have school that day just so kids can get a hot meal, because that may be the only meal they get. Kelly, am I correct in saying that our schools is sometimes the only meal a child gets? That ain't right. Nobody, nobody in this room should say that's okay. Not a soul. And I know you guys don't because you have shown up and proved that you want to feed kids. And what if by helping a few, a few take advantage? I say, so what? If by not doing it, somebody goes hungry, I'll choose helping people every time. How we do it is the struggle, not whether we should do it, but we get stuck on the should. We can struggle with the how, but we should never struggle with the should. We can look to more modern-day people such as Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you're not familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you should check him out. He's probably my top ministry idol that I have, as far as anybody that I probably look up to in ministry and I read about. He was a Lutheran pastor and theologian in Germany during the rise of Hitler. Bonhoeffer actually spent time in America getting his doctorate in New York City and attended a a black church in Harlem and was blown away by the spirit of that church heavily influenced his work and how he started to recognize people from the standpoint of oppression and the struggle that they have. It changed his calling and his faith. He returned to Germany and when Hitler came to power, he fled back to America, was only here for a few weeks. He realized, I need to go back. I gotta go back and do something. It's my country. Like Martin Luther, 1500s Martin Luther, who loved the Catholic Church so much, he wanted to see some changes made. Bonhoeffer loved Germany so much and wanted to see it changed. This idea, if you don't like it, get out, is not in our history as Christians. Because we love something, we should fight for it to be better, like they did should fight for it to reflect the grace of God and the love of God. When Hitler came to power, he spoke out on behalf of the church. He did this because he saw evil and not good. Bonhoeffer then was part of the assassination plot to kill Hitler, and it failed, and he got arrested, and he then was killed for it. It's an interesting twist in Bonhoeffer's story. Bonhoeffer is a big example at an absolute terrible time in world history. But this history ties together the story of those in the Bible that do the work, speaking up for those that can't, to protect vulnerable people and and to do the good work, to hate evil. And that church in Harlem was empowered by the Spirit. Think about that. That church in Harlem influenced Dietrich Bonhoeffer to stand up against Adolf Hitler, one of the most cruel human beings in human history. Don't tell me a place of faith doesn't have the power to do some amazing things and influence some people to do some amazing things. When we are empowered by the Spirit and living out our promise of our baptism, we can find the courage to do it. We are baptized of fire. And we should take a chance to do something that scares us. Something that energizes us. What should it be? And I'll close with this. Remember Jesus was praying during his baptism? We need to also be praying. Jesus relied on God a lot through prayer. He relied on God to feel the Spirit working within, as we need to do. We need to feel the Spirit working within so we can understand our own calling. Like Bonhoeffer realizing his mistake when he fled to America and returning to Germany, even though it was dangerous. Like Jesus, who prayed to God to find the courage to continue his journey to the cross and eventually his resurrection like the disciples who kept preaching the good news, even when faced with their own mortality, we can use prayer to give us strength to take on whatever challenge that we may have ahead. Let us move with courage and in faith. Let us fulfill the commandment to love God by loving our neighbor with that radical, liberating, and grace-filled love that God has shown to us being empowered by the Spirit and baptized of fire. Amen.